Um, we've been doing, uh, our, our pastor Kyle is, is away on sabbatical, and I have been filling in over the last four weeks. And we've been doing kind of a mini-series that we're going to close out today on the kingdom of God. And we've looked at different aspects of this thing that Jesus brings to bear upon all of the world, and that is his kingdom. And today we're going to look at the posture of Jesus' kingdom and what we in the kingdom are supposed to be like. Keisha Thomas, um, perhaps a name that you, you don't know, but in 1996, she kind of had her 15 minutes of fame. And it was a photograph that was taken of her when she was 19 years old in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Um, the photograph, um, or, or the reason why she was in Ann Arbor, Michigan, is because a group of white supremacists, uh, the Ku Klux Klan, showed up for a rally in downtown Ann Arbor. And Keisha Smith, an African-American woman, along with a lot of other um, protesters came uh, to oppose this group of white supremacists. And there was a moment where a particular man from the group, a, a white supremacist, had gotten away from his crowd. And the angry mob of protesters had surrounded him. And there's, the photograph is of Keisha Thomas on top of this man with her fist raised in the air. And you see the photograph for the first time, you're like, yes, I get it. This man in his full KKK regalia and a woman on top. And you're like, yes, get rid of him. Remove the hate. But the problem is the context of that photograph is different than what the picture actually conveys. Because as the man got separated from his group, this angry mob surrounded him and started to punch and kick him. And Keisha actually jumped on top of this man and was shielding him from all of the punches and the kicks to his face, shouting to the protesters to stop. You have a 19-year-old African-American woman standing over a white supremacist, shielding him from the very hate that he came to espouse. The kingdom that Jesus brings, it comes with a particular posture and a particular power. And the kingdom that Jesus brings and the posture that we as his servants are called to have is a posture of mercy and forgiveness. That that is what Jesus brings the kingdom to bear upon this world. And he says that the posture of the people in my kingdom and the characteristics that they will implore to the watching world will be characteristics of mercy 
and forgiveness. This is the gospel of the kingdom and fundamental to it, central to it, is this whole idea of forgiveness. So before we consider this this very famous parable that Jesus told, let's pray and ask the Lord for his help. Let's pray. Our Father, we do ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts this morning would be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. And Lord, help us to um, experience the full weight of this parable and to understand more clearly what the king is really like and what his servants are called to be. So may your spirit come now and open up the eyes of our hearts and give us understanding. For we pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. So the entire chapter, just to give some brief context, the entire chapter of of Matthew 18, kind of Jesus begins to teach about the, the relational dynamics that happen kind of within his kingdom. And he, he begins by saying that in my kingdom, the first, they shall be last, and the last shall be first. And then in verse 10, there's a situation where Jesus looks at his disciples and says, don't ever stop these little ones from coming to me. So Jesus is, is talking about little children to his disciples. He says, don't ever prevent them from coming to me and, and into my kingdom And then Peter comes up to test Jesus with a particular scenario. And you got to love Peter because he asks questions that probably most of us would not feel comfortable asking Jesus, right? And essentially Peter comes and says, okay, is there ever a moment in life where I can completely write someone off. Like, how many times, Jesus, do I really have to forgive? And Peter in his mind thought, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shoot high. Seven times. And the disciples probably would have been like, whoa, Peter, like, don't get carried away here. Seven, that's a lot. And Jesus looks at, at Peter and says, No. Not seven times, but 70 times seven. In other words, Jesus comes and says, Peter, there's never a moment in your life or in my kingdom where you can write someone off. Because in my kingdom, forgiveness will be offered infinitely, unconditionally. Now, that's weighty. And so what Jesus does is then he tells a parable to make his point. And the way that I want us to think about this parable this morning is just very simply in two ways. I want us to consider the merciful king and the unmerciful servant. And so what? So first, the merciful king. Jesus comes and he says, my kingdom can actually be compared 
So he's contrasting in this parable. He's showing, he's like, my kingdom actually can be compared to a king who needed to settle accounts with his servant. And so one of his servants owed 10,000 talents. Now, the original hearers would have just laughed at Jesus because that was such an enormous amount of debt that no one even in the ancient world could have ever accumulated such debt. Like not even the emperor or the king. It's a, it would be as laughable as like our, our current deficit that we have in the United States. Like that's what Jesus is saying. So he's saying like, listen, there's a servant that owed me like a hundred trillion. And so the servant comes and says, hey, have patience. I'll pay it back. And Jesus comes and he says, this king out of pity released the servant from his debt and forgave it. So the merciful king comes and the first thing that we learn is that this merciful king is full of pity. That word literally means to show compassion. And this particular word in the New Testament is the word that most often describes the very heart of Jesus as the one to show compassion, to have sympathy, to have pity. Literally, it means to be moved on the insides with compassion. Now, the question is, is why is Jesus so moved with compassion for his people? Like, why does he have such sympathy? Such empathy. Why does he have such pity? It's because Jesus knows that we have amassed an enormous amount of debt. And it is impossible for us to actually pay it back. And Jesus, who has every right to condemn, every right to throw us into prison, every right to demand full payment. Instead, he has compassion. He has grace. He says, my kingdom is going to be characterized like a king full of compassion and grace. Um, a, a good friend of mine um, shares, uh, shared this story about a, a, one of his childhood friends who learned a particular hard lesson on how to love his little brother. The older brother was at school one day, and in order to impress his friends um, and to try and be popular, he was kind of making fun of his little brother who happened to be handicapped. And some teachers caught it, took him to the principal's office, and he, he got in trouble. And the principal basically said, listen, we're going to let your, your dad know what took place today. So the guy goes home, and immediately he's met by his dad, and his dad says, go to your room. So the guy goes, you know, the young man goes to his room, and he's just sitting there just thinking and processing, and he says, I just, 
just felt this enormous amount of guilt, shame, and then fear, like what my dad's, you know, what's he going to do? Like he was just so afraid of the punishment and the condemnation that was about to come down from his dad. So he's just sitting in there for a long period of time, sitting in his sin and shame. And his dad walks in a little while later, and this is all he said to his son. He says, I hope you know that your little brother loves you very much. He said, it was that moment that I understood the posture that I'm supposed to have in God's kingdom. You see, the merciful king has pity, has compassion, extends grace. And that compassion, that mercy, what it leads to is forgiveness. The king in this parable forgave this enormous amount of debt. He forgave it too when the servant didn't even ask for it to be forgiven. I don't know if you caught that in the parable, but the servant only asked the king to have patience so that he could pay it back. And the king, not prompted by the servant, just forgives the debt. He absorbs it. And this is precisely what happens on a cosmic scale with our own sin and guilt. That God absorbs our debt and gives us forgiveness in Jesus. Now, this raises some important questions, especially if you're here and you have questions about God, or you wrestle with whether or not the Bible is true. Like, what do you do if you don't think that you have any debt, spiritually speaking? Like, what do you do if you're here and you're thinking like, well, I, I don't really sense the guilt. So I'm not perhaps maybe impressed by Jesus cosmically forgiving me of something that I don't necessarily think that I have or that I sense is wrong with me. You see the tension there. There was a fascinating um, um, essay uh, a couple of years ago called The Strange Persistence of Guilt. And David Brooks in the New York Times, he addresses, he kind of like interacts with this, this essay about the strange persistence of guilt. And listen to what David Brooks says. He says, technology gives us power and power entails responsibility and responsibility leads to guilt. You and I see a picture of a starving child in Sudan, and we know inwardly that we're not doing enough. Whatever donation I make to a charitable org, it can never be as much as I could have given. I can never diminish my carbon footprint enough or give enough to the poor. He says colonialism, slavery, structural poverty, water pollution, deforestation— he says there's an endless list of items for which you and I can take the rap. You see what he's saying? He's saying even as the world becomes more secular 
and more distant from religion, there is this strange persistence of guilt at play. That we have a debt that perhaps we we suppress, but it comes out in the world in which we live and the places that we do life. You may have uh, have heard me reference this before, but Elizabeth Brunig um, is, is a writer and essayist, and she tweeted probably a year ago, and it's just one of the most profound tweets that I've read in a long time. She says, the environment that we live in right now is unsustainable. And she says, because we demand constant atonement and disdain the very idea of forgiveness. Like she's got her finger on something. She says, when we look out across the culture, we're demanding constant atonement. But yet we disdain the very idea of forgiveness. And here's the question. Why are we demanding atonement if there is not this strange persistence of guilt at play? Regardless of belief. In that essay, The Strange Persistence of Guilt, he interacts with Friedrich Nietzsche, the great German philosopher who thought and wrote and and kind of prophesied that once God is dead, so too will the persistence of guilt that religion brings. It will die too, and we will actually live free. And what the writer of that, uh, that essay says is Nietzsche actually gets it wrong. He says, yes, religious sensibilities is on the decline. But the strange persistence of guilt, it has never gone away. This new innocence that Nietzsche thought atheism would bring, where there is no God and no Satan to interfere with our freedoms, he says it hasn't worked out that way. And so the Bible unequivocally is clear that the problem that plays out all across the world is because of our sin. This is the Bible's explanation for why things are the way that they are. This sin is a debt. A debt that we have amassed in light of the king. A debt that we cannot pay back. And Jesus knows that. And he looks out with compassion and mercy and says, I, who am the true king, will become a servant on your behalf and pay the debt that you cannot pay. In other words, Jesus on the cross as the infinite Son of God deals with our infinite debt. Do we deserve it? No. Did we do anything to earn it? No. But our debt is absorbed in the very costly love of God. The demand for eternal atonement was paid by the one to whom it was owed. That is the beauty and wonder that the kingdom Jesus brings to bear upon this world. That is central to the gospel of the kingdom. 
So how does the servant respond? This leads me secondly to the unmerciful servant. So here this servant is forgiven this insurmountable debt. And you're thinking like, okay, Jesus, that was pretty ridiculous to begin with. But the parable gets even more ridiculous because the servant goes out in light of the good news and chokes a friend for a quarter. Now, it's incomprehensible, and Jesus is making a point, it's incomprehensible that someone in my kingdom who's been forgiven in the manner in which he has been forgiven would then go and choke someone to whom they owe a debt. Now, what do we learn here about the unmerciful servant? There's a lot here at play, and I just want to think about a couple of things. The first thing that we learn is that the unmerciful servant doesn't believe that the king is really that merciful. This is why he goes and chokes a friend that owes him a certain amount of money. Why? Because he doesn't actually believe that the king is really that good and really that merciful. No one is possibly that gracious. No one would ever actually forgive that amount. And so he goes and he's trying to pay back the king because he doesn't actually believe that the king is really that good. And this goes back then to the original question that Peter posed. How many times shall we forgive? And Jesus says, infinitely. Now, why is that important for us this morning? Because some of you in here, I would imagine, struggle to believe that God really is that good. And that He really is that merciful. And that He really is that gracious. If you're here and perhaps you struggle with an addiction... And I would imagine you've probably had that scenario play out in your mind, thinking like, well, today is the day where Jesus is finally going to look at me and say, enough is enough. You're done. Or if you harbor secret sins. And you struggle to believe that Jesus really is that good. You think, I think His mercy has finally run out on me. You see, the unmerciful servant, he doesn't believe that the king is really that good and gracious. But he also comes to believe that his sin, his debt, isn't that big of a deal. We see the unmerciful servant doesn't really think that what he has amassed is that kind of a deal. It's a big deal because he actually thinks that he can pay it back, which is absolutely ludicrous. It's like me on my current salary thinking that I could somehow in my lifetime pay off 
our national debt. That would be a lot funnier if you... (laughs) And what that highlights is the fact that this unmerciful servant, he doesn't think that his debt's a big deal. And because he doesn't think it's a big deal, he thinks that he can somehow pay it back. I don't know if you have followed Kanye West, his, his kind of story into Christianity. Um, very fascinating. And um, there was a, a, a night a couple, maybe it was last year, or a couple years ago when he appeared on uh, Jimmy Kimmel's late night show. And this was early on as, as he was kind of coming into Christianity. And he's on Kimmel, and Kimmel's just asking him, because he's obviously been in the news, and he's asking him about his relationship with God. And Kanye talks about how he has given his life to Jesus. And in the interview, right after he kind of talks about his, you know, him giving his life over to God, he cusses. And immediately... Kanye says this. He goes, I'm so sorry. My Christian scorecard has dropped for the day. And I thought, wow. Like that actually is what plays out, not just in new Christians, but in seasoned Christians all the time. That when we blow it, that when we mess up, that when we sin, we have this real of thinking like, my Christian scorecard has kind of been docked today because we think that Jesus is up there grading us on a scale just waiting to condemn and punish us. The unmerciful servant thought that he his debt wasn't that big of a deal that he could somehow pay it back by getting a better scorecard. What he rightly deserved was death and condemnation. What he received was mercy and forgiveness. Instead of living out of that posture, he goes and chokes a friend for nothing. His behavior is just incomprehensible, as crazy as the whole parable truly is. And so when Jesus forgives us our sins, we as new forgiven people have a new responsibility. The king, this is what's fascinating. The king, even though he forgave the servant's debt, He did not release the servant from his duty or obligation to the king. What is the servant's duty and obligation to the king? It is to reflect and mirror what the king is like. Forgiveness that has been received must then be forgiveness that is given. And that is what Jesus is saying about his kingdom, that there is a particular posture. That my people will be characterized by. And this posture of of pity and mercy and grace 
and forgiveness, when it gets into my people, deep down into my people, it will actually lead them to great freedom. You have the merciful king and the unmerciful servant. So what do we do? Two very brief things that I want you to consider. The first is this. Jesus calls us, if we have received his forgiveness, he calls us to extend that same forgiveness to one another. What does it look like to extend forgiveness? It's costly. It means that we absorb the debt. What does that look like? The first step in becoming a merciful servant in Jesus' kingdom is learning to not enact revenge or making the other person pay, but learning to absorb the debt, learning to pay it down. We pay it down by not rehashing the past or being cold to the person when you see them or when you actually see the person prospering you refuse to seek emotional revenge. And in my mind, emotional revenge is like, you know, a voodoo doll that you kind of see and you see that person and you're like, eh, don't like seeing them prosper. I want to be mad and cold and angry at them. We refuse to take it out on them. That's why paying it down, that's why forgiveness as my friend said, is, one of the, is the hardest thing in the Christian life. Because it's costly. But the anger that you feel against someone who has wronged you, when you learn to pay it down, it dies. The bitterness, the rage, it leaves. And when you forgive... It leads you to a life of freedom. But secondly, to be a merciful servant in Jesus' kingdom is to have pity. So often when we are sinned against, we highlight the differences between the person and ourselves. Like, we don't do this like verbally. We kind of internalize this. And what I mean by this is we are far more gracious to ourselves when we have wronged someone than we are to the person that is wrong to us. It's like if someone lies to me, that person is a liar. But if I lie, well, I'm just a complex person, right? I have my own flaws, but let's not get carried away. And so we will exaggerate the differences between one another. And to have, to have pity, to have compassion, means that we look at someone who has wronged us, knowing what we are like in our own heart, and say, I get it too. I understand why you might have done that. Because I too am a sinner. And so we learn to have compassion and pity towards one another. To have grace. 
And when you learn to see the other person that perhaps has sinned against you as someone, as a fellow struggler, as a fellow sinner made in the image of God, who also has been forgiven by the King, it leads you to see them in a gracious light, which leads you again to a life of freedom. What would that look like? Let me close with this. There's another famous photograph that won the Pulitzer Prize. And it came out of uh, the, the horrors of Vietnam. It's the, the photograph of, entitled The Napalm Girl. You may have seen the picture. It's a, it's a picture of a nine-year-old girl running naked after an air raid. And she's got burns on her neck, her back, her arms. And it just shows the horror of what was taking place in Vietnam. But it also immortalized this nine-year-old girl and her story. Her name was Kim Phan. And she writes about this. She's now 55 or maybe a little older. She writes about this in her own memoir. She said after when she was nine, she spent 14 months in the hospital. She had 16 surgeries. The government used that photograph as propaganda to demonize the Americans. She was kicked out of college, completely shunned by her friends and family. And so she went to her religion looking for hope, for peace, and she couldn't find it. She was just angry and bitter, and rightly so. But then she found a Bible. And she was curious about Christianity, and so she began to read the Bible and eventually became a Christian. And she writes this. <clears throat> she says, As I became a Christian, and I started to think about all the people that have wronged me over the years, I slowly began to forgive them. She says it was painful, it was hard, it was difficult, but she learned to give everything over to God. She learned to forgive the soldiers who dropped the bomb, the government who oppressed her, her friends who shunned her. And she writes this, she says, I look back at that picture, how ugly it was. I was naked, I was in agony. I was so hopeless, crying out. Why would that happen to a child? Then she responds in praise. Wow, Lord. You allowed that to happen to me. And in the middle of that, you were there. And you saved me. And she says, it changed my life completely. My darkness turned into light. My hatred into forgiveness, my sorrow into joy. My hopelessness into hope. And she says, I was freed. When you discover the infinite mercy of Jesus and you see your infinite debt has been paid. 
that changes you. And it fills you with a heart of mercy, full of forgiveness. And ultimately that leads you to lead a free life. Don't you want freedom this morning? Consider that an invitation. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let me pray. Our Father, we do not recognize how significant our own debt is. And yet, we realize the significance of you sending your own Son to pay it in full. And so may we in your kingdom this morning who have been brought out of darkness into the beloved light of your kingdom, may you work in us that great posture that so emulates the king. A posture of pity and mercy, a posture of grace and forgiveness. Jesus, you know that we cannot cultivate those things on our own. And so we need your spirit to come and to do that deep work in us. So would you be so gracious to do that? For we ask this in your name. Amen.